Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. This is Jason um, at Mercy Commons. We do believe that um, the majority diet of teaching comes through elders, um, but that we also believe in gift recognition, but particularly during our series, God at Work, what we've done is just chosen men and women that have been in the context of work uh, to model something of what it looks like to be equally engaged in the vocation that God has given you and equally committed to the family God has called you to live out your faith. Um, Jason and Megan have been part of this community and even before that for a very long time. So Jason, I'm going to pray for you. And uh, God, I want to thank you for Jason I want to thank you for the gifting that you've given him, both at work and within the context of this community. I want to thank you for the various roles that he plays as leader and editor and life group leader and father and most importantly, son of the living God. I want to pray that the dominant identity that he functions out of this morning would be your beloved son. I want to pray that you would just give him freedom and joy. I want to thank you for the study that he's done, but... um, Uh, just more full of anticipation of what you, Holy Spirit, are going to speak to us through the unpacking of your word. Uh, We posture ourselves in a place of receptivity and change. We want to be changed by your word. Bless us, I pray this morning. Amen. Amen. (laughs) All right. Hey, good morning, Mercy Commons. It is... uh, Good to be with you this morning. It's a privilege to be able to wrap up this God at Work series uh, that we've been in. Um, I think it's been just so helpful over these past couple of months just to look at what what God has to say about our work, this place where we spend so much of our time, and and how he uses our work to shape us and how he uses our work to to bless the people around us. Um, So I want to start this morning by asking a series of questions of you. And if any of these are true, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand. Or you can do, like, one foot. (laughs) Little hand raises. How many of you have ever had a challenging boss? Maybe somebody who had unrealistic expectations. How many of you have ever had difficult coworkers? Maybe somebody who made life a little frustrating for you. How many of you have ever uh, felt out of place at your work because of your faith? Maybe you were one of the only Christians in that setting. Yeah. How many of you have ever felt pressured to to do something or been asked to do something that went against your values or against your faith at work? Okay, so it looks like most of us have experienced most of those things, at least at some point in in our career. And if you haven't, it's it's probably just a matter of time before you do, right? So for our scripture this morning, we're going to be jumping back to the Old Testament, and we're going to be looking at the the story of Daniel, uh, who is somebody who experienced all of those things and more. Uh, Daniel, he worked for a series of challenging kings. Uh, He faced hostility from jealous colleagues who didn't just make his life frustrating, but they wanted to kill him. Um, He was repeatedly put in situations where he was pressured to compromise his values, and he experienced isolation because of his faith. And yet through all of that, Daniel, he he held on to his integrity. And we're going to see this morning from, from Daniel's example what it looks like to be a faithful presence in our work, wherever God has called us. So the key theme that I want to draw out for us this morning, the key idea to to hold on to is that 
in the face of pressure, God calls us to be a faithful presence. In the face of pressure, God calls us to be a faithful presence. So before we dive into the story of Daniel, uh, I want to unpack what I mean by that phrase, faithful presence, because I'm going to be referencing it a, a few times today. Uh, faithful presence is a, a term that was kind of popularized by this Christian sociologist named James Davison Hunter. Uh, he wrote a book 10, 15 years ago called To Change the World. And in it, he argues that, that we Christians, um, especially in the West, have kind of four main postures that we take as we approach our relationship with the world. Um, as we're interacting with people who don't share our faith, whether that's in, in the workplace or in our communities or in politics, we tend to approach those with one of four postures. So one group has a posture of being defensive against the world. They recognize that the values of God's kingdom don't always align with the values that surround us. And this group responds by thinking of ourselves as being in a culture war. There's this combative kind of battle mentality where things are packaged in us versus them terms. We see Christianity under attack and there's this need to, to fight back. So that's one group. A second group has this posture of, of seeking purity from the world. So like the first group, they recognize that the, the values of God's kingdom don't always align with the values that surround us. But the response here is to disengage from the world, to create kind of Christian bubbles, like little pockets of, of the kingdom where, where we can be untainted by the world. And so the focus becomes more insular and inward just on, on the church. A third group sees our role as being relevant to the world. And for this group, there's, there's a positive desire to be more seeker-sensitive and to maybe show that Christians aren't all culture warriors and we're not all out of touch. But, but one of the challenges for this group is that there can be a tendency to kind of downplay some of the distinctiveness of, of our faith. And it's easy in the name of, of relevance to get swept up in adopting a lot of the same values and watching all the same entertainment and sharing a lot of the same popular political positions or getting lured in by the same American dream so that we end up looking very much like the world but with just like a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. And then in contrast to those three, Hunter argues that our calling as Christians is to be a faithful presence within the world. So instead of battling for the culture or retreating from the culture or assimilating into the culture, being a faithful presence, it really involves so much of what we've been talking about through this series. Um, it means that we are actively engaged in our culture, but in a way that holds on to our distinctiveness so that we are reflecting God where we're at to the people around us, that we are embodying the fruit of the Spirit wherever God has called us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Being a faithful presence means being the light of the world, as Jesus called us to in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said to let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, being a faithful presence means being the aroma of Christ, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 2, where he says that God releases the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere through us. And being a faithful presence means, as Nick reminded us last week, following Peter's instructions in, in 1 Peter 2, to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors so that they will see your honorable behavior 
and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. And one of the clear uh, examples of this idea of a faithful presence actually comes at the time of, of Daniel. So Babylon had invaded Judah and had taken God's people captive and brought them into exile in Babylon, a thousand miles away. And as they go into exile in this foreign land where they're out of place and they're surrounded by people who don't share their faith, God gives them some instructions uh, through the prophet Jeremiah. And he tells them this in, in Jeremiah 29, verses 5 through 7. Build houses and settle down. Cultivate gardens and eat what they produce. Get married and have children. Then help your sons and wives, and your, or find wives, and your, your daughters find husbands, in order that they too may have children. Increase in number there so that you don't dwindle away. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because your future depends on its welfare. So instead of fighting back or, or keeping to themselves or being assimilated into the culture, God tells his people to get invested in this place where he's going to send them. He tells them to, to build houses and to build families and to, to grow gardens and, and most importantly, to work and to pray for the common good of the city where he's placed them. That, that word there for, for welfare is shalom. It's, it's life as God intended it to be. So they are supposed to be a faithful presence in the midst of all the pressures that they're going to be facing in this new environment. So with that as a setup, we'll dive into the book of Daniel. We're going to see how this plays out in, in real life. And Daniel is a long book. There's a lot going on in it. We could, we could camp out in Daniel for an entire series just focusing on, on what it can teach us about work. So we're going to look at two snapshots from Daniel's life, one at the beginning of his career and one toward the end of his career, um, and, and see a few examples of what it looks like to be a faithful presence in the face of pressure. So starting with Daniel chapter 1, uh, the book of Daniel opens up about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacks Jerusalem, he ransacks the temple, and he takes some of God's people captive back to Babylon. We read from chapter 1, verse 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nebuchadnezzar instructed his highest official, Ashpenaz, to choose royal descendants and members of the ruling class from the Israelites. Good-looking young men without defects, skilled in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, conversant with learning, and capable of serving in the king's palace. Ashpenaz was to teach them the Chaldean language and its literature. The king assigned these young men daily allotments from his own food and from the royal wine. Ashpenaz was to teach them for three years so that at the end of that time they could serve before the king. Among these young men from the Judeans were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So here we see that Daniel is a young guy. He's probably a teenager. He's smart. He's good-looking. Um, he's healthy. And he and his friends, they're going to be put into this school where they're going to learn the Babylonian culture and prepare to serve the king. And we can imagine that Daniel's probably not too, too thrilled about this. He's been taken from his homeland. He's been put into this foreign setting where he's surrounded by all these people who don't share his, his faith. He's, he's going to be forced to study this pagan culture that goes against everything that he stands for. And, he, and he's being told that he's going to have to work for this evil king. And his conscience is being tested because he's being fed this rich food from the king's table. 
Um, we don't know why exactly the, the food was problematic. The text doesn't say. It's possible that it, it could have been unclean under the, the Jewish law. It's possible that it, it could have been offered to idols, and that was the issue for Daniel. Or it could just be that, that Daniel didn't want to be wined and dined and kind of reprogrammed to, to be assimilated into the Babylonian culture. He wanted to do something that would, would help to keep him distinct. So he's got some choices to make. Uh, he can either refuse to comply with this and possibly get himself killed. Uh, he can choose to go along with everything like most of the people around him do. Or he can find some alternative. So we pick up in verse 8. It says, Daniel decided that he wouldn't pollute himself with the king's rations or the royal wine, and he appealed to the chief official in hopes that he wouldn't have to do so. Now, God had established faithful loyalty between Daniel and the chief official. But the chief official said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my master, the king, who has mandated what you are to eat and drink. What will happen if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men in your group? The king will have my head because of you. So Daniel spoke to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Why not test your servants for 10 days? You could give us a diet of vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance to the appearance of the young men who eat the king's food. Then deal with your servants according to what you see. So the guard decided to go along with their plan and tested them for 10 days. So I'll pause there. Notice that, that Daniel responds in a way that's both wise and winsome. Uh, he's wise in what he chooses to ask for, and he's winsome in how he chooses to ask for it. He assesses the situation, and he recognizes that there are some things that are outside of his control that aren't going to change. But, but one thing that might have the possibility of changing here is the food. So he starts just by asking this chief official if there's any way that he can get out of eating this food. He doesn't jump straight to refusing to eat. He doesn't jump straight to going on a hunger strike. He makes a respectful request of this official, somebody that he had formed a good relationship with. It says that God had established faithful loyalty between Daniel and the official. So I think we can, it's safe to say that, that Daniel was a respectful, likable guy. He wasn't a jerk. The official then re reluctantly refuses Daniel at first, uh, but Daniel's not a pushover. He doesn't just kind of go along with what gets said there. He, he doesn't take no for an answer. He, he makes a follow-up appeal to the guard, and basically he says, hey, why don't we just test this out for 10 days? You know, what's the worst that could go wrong? It's just 10 days. It's a wise and winsome approach to a challenging situation. So we'll look at what happens next. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard kept taking away their rations and the wine they were supposed to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And God gave knowledge, mastery of all literature, and wisdom to these four men. Daniel himself gained understanding of every type of vision and dream. When the time came to review the young men as the king had ordered, the chief official brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. When the king spoke with them, he found no one as good as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they took their place in the king's service. Whenever the king consulted them about any aspect of wisdom and understanding, he found them head and shoulders above all the dream interpreters and enchanters in his, in his entire kingdom. And Daniel stayed in the king's service until the first year of King Cyrus. 
So the first lesson I want us to see this morning about what it means to be a faithful presence is that it is important to be wise and to be wisdom, or and to, to seek wisdom and be winsome. Um, and Daniel demonstrates both of these. Uh, it would have been easy for him to just complain about the unfairness of his situation. It would have been easy for him to give in to the pressure here. But instead, he wisely identifies a solution and he suggests it in a winsome way. Uh, and in Daniel's case, God rewards that faithfulness and it ends up putting him on a trajectory where he's going to be able to influence kings for decades to come in faithful service to God. So a question for us this morning is just, what are some of the challenges and frustrations that you face uh, at work? Are there, are there times that you're asked to do things that you don't want to do or you feel uncomfortable doing? I'm going to give a not-so-spiritual um, counterexample from, from my own life. So um, over the past year, uh, I have not been the biggest fan of the L.A. County Department of Public Health. <laughs> uh, I work, like, right on the edge of L.A. County. And for most of the past year, L.A. County was, was one of the only places in the entire country that required us to, to mask up all day, every day, if you were indoors. So even though I was fully vaccinated and boosted and being responsible, even though most days nobody was within like 25 feet of my cubicle, even though I worked two miles from the maskless Orange County border, <laughs> I was still having to sit there in my cubicle for eight hours a day with, with the mask on. I wasn't, I wasn't too happy about it. <laughs> you may be like, just get over it, dude, but... Months on end, right? So, so how did I respond? Well, I complained. <laughs> I made snarky, sarcastic comments to my coworkers almost every day. And uh, it felt good in the moment to vent, but um, later on I was convicted by God, as, as God is prone to do, um, that it wasn't wise and it wasn't winsome. Uh, my response there. It wasn't wise because it wasn't doing anything to offer any sort of solution to my problem or, or how I was feeling. And it wasn't winsome because I wasn't edifying myself. I wasn't edifying anybody around me. I was just spreading negativity. I wasn't modeling the fruit of the Spirit. I wasn't acting in a way that Jesus would act. I can't imagine Jesus whining the way that I whined. <laughs> So I've already decided that if L.A. County brings back the mandate, like it's looking like they might in the next few days, that, um, that I'm going to have a different posture uh, going forward, that I'm going I'm to be more solution-minded, maybe work outside more, try and work remotely more, uh, but I'm not going to whine by God's grace. So that is probably a trivial example. You are probably facing something much more connected to your faith and the core um, values that you have as a Christian. Um, but whatever, whatever challenges or pressures that you're facing at work, I want to encourage you uh, to consider how you can be a faithful presence in the midst of those, how you can be wise in a way that looks for solutions, and how you can be winsome in a way that models the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so we're, gonna, we're now going to shift forward in Daniel's life and skip to chapter 6. Um, about 65 years have now passed, so Daniel is in his late 70s or early 80s. He's spent an entire career now, decades, working for these foreign kings. And God has repeatedly used Daniel to, to speak truth and to reflect his character um, to these kings. 
As we open up chapter 6, Daniel is now one of the main leaders under a new king named Darius. It says, Darius decided to appoint 120 chief administrators throughout the kingdom and to set, them over, or set over them three main officers to whom they would report so that the king wouldn't have to be bothered with too much. One of these main officers was Daniel. Because of his extraordinary spirit, Daniel soon surpassed the other officers and the chief administrators, so much so that the king had plans to set him over the entire kingdom. As a result, the other officers and chief administrators tried to find some problem with Daniel's work for the kingdom, but they couldn't find any problem or corruption at all because Daniel was trustworthy. He wasn't guilty of any negligence or corruption. So these men said, we won't find any fault in Daniel unless we can find something to use against him from his religious practice. Okay, we'll stop there. And, and look at how this, this passage describes Daniel. It says he has an extraordinary spirit. He's trustworthy. He's not guilty of any negligence or corruption. You've got these jealous colleagues who are looking over his shoulder, who are monitoring his every move, and they can't find anything wrong with him. He's, he's so full of integrity, and he's so dedicated to what he does, and he's so good at what he does that he's about to be elevated to, to leadership over the whole kingdom. And if you read through the entire book of Daniel, you get the sense that Daniel is, is somebody who is just fueled by confidence in God's character. Uh, he's filled with with hope for God's kingdom, and he's just full of reliance on, on God's presence. And that just shapes the way that he lives his life. It just spills out. Uh, his hard work spills out as a result. So the second thing I want us to see this morning is, is that uh, another way that we can serve as a faithful presence in the face of pressure is to model integrity and diligence in our work. Uh, John Mark Comer has a, a great little book on work called Garden City. And I love what he says about this aspect of our work. He says, our job is to mirror and mimic what God is like to the people around us, to show the world what God is like. God is hardworking, so we should be hardworking. God is joyful and eager and proactive, so we should be cheerful and show up 10 minutes early for our shift and volunteer when something difficult needs to be done. God is honest and true, so we should be full of integrity, even when it means less money or no promotion, because we are made in the image of God, here to make the invisible God visible. You're the priest of your office or classroom or home or job site. You're God's representative. I think that's such a, a helpful and challenging way of thinking about our work, that we are God's representative, that we're the priest of our, our workplace, mediating his presence to the people around us. Um, I work in, in marketing at Biola uh, Christian University. One of the things that I love is when we hear back from employers, you know, superintendents and principals and hospital administrators and business owners uh, getting back to us and, and the deans telling us that they love hiring our students because there's something different about them. That it's not just that they're excellent in what they do, but, but there's something about the integrity and the attitude that they, that they model to the people around us. And I think that's, that's encouraging to hear, and that's, that's what it should be, that we as Christians should be some of the best employees out there who are modeling God's hard work, God's integrity to the world around us. So another question for us this morning is, is that true uh, for us? Is that true for you? As you look at your workplace, what, what are you communicating to the people around you with the way 
that you work? Is it obvious from your integrity and your hard work? Is it obvious from your, your emails and your interactions, um, the things that you're, that you're creating, that, that there's something different about you? Is God spilling over into the work that you do? Okay, we'll pick up the, the rest of the story in Daniel 6. So we've seen that, that Daniel's colleagues resent him. Uh, we've seen that they can't find any dirt on, on him. And so they come up with this conspiracy. And they, they go to the king and they convince the king to sign this decree that if anybody prays to anybody else other than the king for the next 30 days, that they will be fed to the lions. So I'll pick up in, in verse 10. When Daniel learned that this document had been signed, he went to his house. Now his upper room had open windows that faced Jerusalem. Daniel knelt down, prayed, and praised his God three times that day, just like he always did. Just then these men, all ganged together, came upon Daniel praying and seeking mercy from his God. They then went and talked to the king about the law. Your majesty, didn't you sign a law that for 30 days any person who prays to any god or human being besides you, your majesty, would be thrown into a pit of lions? At this point, the king realizes that he's made a boneheaded move because he likes Daniel. He doesn't want to throw him in the lion's den. But for whatever reason, in that culture, he was not able to change this law. And so Daniel, there's there's no choice but to throw him into this pit with lions. So we pick back up at, at verse 16. So the king gave the order... And they brought Daniel and hurled him into the pit of lions. The king said to Daniel, Your God, the one you serve so consistently, will rescue you. So they seal up the pit, and the king has this sleepless night. And the next morning, he rushes back to the pit, and he he checks on Daniel. Verse 20, as he approached the pit, he called out to Daniel, worried. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, the one you serve so consistently, able to rescue you from the lions. Then Daniel answered the king, Long live the king. My God sent his messenger who shut the lions' mouths. They haven't touched me because I was judged innocent before my God. I haven't done anything to wrong you either, your majesty. So God miraculously rescues Daniel. And not only that, but God uses this situation and he uses Daniel's faithful presence to bring glory to his name. This pagan king is so affected by this experience that he recognizes Daniel's God as the living God, and then he issues this amazing decree to the whole world in verse 25. It says, Then King Darius wrote the following decree, To all the peoples, nations, and languages inhabiting the entire earth, I wish you much peace. I now issue this command. In every region of my kingdom, all people must fear and revere Daniel's God, because he is the living God. God stands firm forever. His kingship is indestructible. God's rule will last until the end of time. He is rescuer and savior. God performs signs and miracles in heaven and on earth. Here's the proof. He rescued Daniel from the lion's power. And so Daniel was made prosperous during the rule of King Darius and during the rule of Cyrus the Persian. So the final thing that I want us to see today is that being a, a faithful presence means being prayerfully dependent upon God. Uh, for Daniel, prayer was a way of, of life. We see for him in this passage that every day, three times a day, he would spend time praising God and seeking mercy from God for, for him and for his people. Prayer shaped 
who he was. And when this law was passed, Daniel didn't get angry and fight back. He didn't get anxious. He didn't comply with it. He just said, I'm going to keep doing what I always do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prayerfully depend on God. And if God chooses to save me from this situation, great. If God chooses not to, that's okay too. But my job is to be faithful to what God calls me to do. Uh, I want to tell you a story from early in my career about how I learned the importance of committing my work uh, to God in prayer. Uh, I was about um, a year out from college, and I was working as a newspaper reporter out in the Inland Empire. And uh, I, I remember coming into work one Monday morning and learning that there had been a shooting uh, the night before, that, that a, a high school kid had been shot and killed in his car on a, a freeway overpass out in that area. And it was something like the, the 10th teen shooting in just a couple-week period. So um, it, it wasn't my story to write. Um, we had crime reporters who were going to be working on that um, that day. But about halfway through my day, my editor came up to me and pulled me off of what I had been working on and said, hey, can you help out with this story? And specifically, can you go out and try and find some of this kid's friends so that you can, we can interview them and we can capture some of his humanity in this story? So um, one of the problems was that this was a, a Monday holiday from school, so I couldn't just drive down to the high school and try and catch kids coming out at the end of the day. Um, and uh, I'm old now, so um, <laughs> this was the days before social media, so I couldn't just hop on, on Instagram or Facebook and, and find any of his friends that way. So I was just going to have to go out and, and drive and, and hope that I found some, some friends. So, <laughs> so I got in my car, and, and, and I prayed, um, and I prayed a lot in that job because I felt over my head so often. Um, but one of my go-to prayers that I, I prayed was just simply, God, I pray that, that you would guide my steps, um, that you would give me the courage and the confidence to do this job that you've called me to do, that you would lead me to the right people, to the right interviews so that I can capture the truth, and, and, and God, that you would be honored and glorified in and, and through my work. Just simple, sincere prayer. So I, I ended up driving to the high school, maybe hoping that even though school was out for that day, that there might be a sports practice going on or something. And there was, but I didn't, I didn't really find anybody there who had anything to say. So I, I then decided that I would drive to the, the freeway overpass where the shooting had taken place. And uh, an, another reporter had been there earlier in the day, and, and there hadn't been anybody there, but I thought, maybe now. So as I got there, sure enough, there was, you know, 30 to 40 kids who were gathered there along this freeway overpass. So I, went, I parked my car on a side street, and I, I went up, and I started talking to some of these kids uh, about their friend. And a couple of minutes, literally like a couple of minutes after I walked up, I saw this man approaching from the other side. And as he got a little bit closer, he called out to these kids, and he said, hey, guys, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Jim and I'm a pastor at Calvary Chapel. And um, I just want to tell you how sorry I am to hear about your friend. I didn't know him well, but some of his friends went to our church, and he'd come to a couple of surf camps at our church. So I just wanted to come down here and pray for you guys. And I want to let you know, I know that a freeway, a freeway overpass isn't like the, the most ideal spot for you to gather, so we're going to open up our church tonight, and I just want to invite all of you guys and any friends that you have to come down to, to our church, and, and we just want to make a space for you to grieve 
and to pray and to share memories about your friend. So with that, he gathered them all together and, and they all prayed together on this freeway overpass. So after he finished up, I talked to a handful more kids and I talked to him for a little bit and, and I drove back to the newsroom and I was just thinking, man, this, this perfect 20-minute spot for me to be in this place. So I got back to the newspaper and I walk in and my boss's boss's boss <laughs> is standing there, the, the executive editor of the paper. Um, and this was going to be the, the top story of the next day. So as I walk in, he says, so what'd you get? So I, I tell him that I was able to, to talk to some, some of the friends, and, and then I told him about this pastor. And to my knowledge, this editor was not a believer, but as I told him about this pastor, he just, he stopped and he said, you see, there's somebody who gets it. And then he, he just got like this pensive look on his face. So a few, a few minutes later, he came up to my desk and he said, hey, can you get me the name and the contact info of that pastor? Because I want to reach out to him and ask if he can, if he can write something for our Sunday paper on, on how do we respond in the midst of a tragedy like this? How do we make sense of the death of, of a kid? I was floored <laughs> by that. So sure enough, the next Sunday morning, we had this big feature, feature story in the paper uh, with a news update just about this wave of, of teen shootings. And alongside that, that big story was a smaller story, guest column, titled A Pastor's Words, where this pastor was able to share that 350 kids had turned up at his church to pray. And this pastor was able to, sh- to share the, the hope that, that death is not the end. And, and he invited people to turn to God in, for comfort and, and and salvation. So I learned from that experience that God wants to use our prayers and our presence for his purposes. Um, I wasn't trying to get God into the paper. I didn't, that wasn't my agenda. I was just showing up to be a faithful presence where God had called me to be. And somehow, both this pastor and I ended up in the exact spot at the same time. Somehow, this, this editor felt compelled to give this pastor a platform. And it wasn't maybe quite like Darius issuing a, a worldwide decree, but, but for that day, it was like God was taking control of that printing press and saying, I want to remind people that I'm here and that I care. Daniel knew that prayer accomplishes things. He knew that he needed to pray, not as just a a checklist or to do items, but he was dependent upon God in prayer, and God ended up using him in powerful ways as a result. So how about us? Do you consistently pray for your your work? Uh, I'm not as consistent as as I would like to be. There are some days that I do, some days I get distracted and I just jump straight into my work without, without committing that time to God. But I've noticed that when I take that time to, to pray for that work relationship or to pray for clarity of thought about that project or to pray for peace about that stressful presentation or whatever, whatever the situation is, that it, that it makes a difference. Um, God cares about that stuff and he welcomes us to come to him with prayerful dependence. So I just want to encourage you with that this morning, that make it a practice, whether it's on your, on your way to work or before you open your laptop in the morning or whatever else the start of your day looks like, commit your, your work to God and expect that, that he's going to show up. Uh, expect that God wants to use your position, use your prayers, use your presence um, for his purposes in the world. Band, you can come up.
Um, so as I close this morning, uh, I just want to pray over us. I spent some time this week just looking at a list of, of your names um, and just thinking through all the different vocations that are represented around this room. In this room, we have teachers and we have healthcare workers. We have therapists and business owners and engineers and artists and developers and designers and writers and realtors and parents and pastors and nonprofit workers and financial advisors and students and so many other roles. And we've seen throughout this series that all of that work matters to God. It's part of what God is doing to build his kingdom. It's part of how he's revealing his character to the world around us. So as you go about your work, as you face pressures, I'm just going to pray over you that God will empower you to be a faithful presence in the midst of that. Father, I just want to thank you for each and every person in this room. Thank you for the giftings. Um, Thank you for the talents. Thank you for the calling that you've placed on each of their lives. God, thank you that we get to partner with you in the work that you're doing, that that somehow our work matters to you. It's making a difference. Um, It's part of what you've designed us for. And God, this morning, I just want to pray that you would empower us, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and that you would commission us, recommission us for the work that you've called us to do. God, pray that we would see our work not just as something that we have to do, uh, not just as a way to, to earn a paycheck, but, but it's, it's a, a way that we can glorify you and honor you. It's a way that, that you stretch us and build our character. Uh, it's a way that, that we're able to represent you and, and reveal your goodness to the people around us. So God, I pray that you would help us to be wise and winsome. God, I pray that you would help us to, to work and to, to walk with integrity and hard work. And God, I pray that you would just stir up within us uh, a real desire to, to partner with you in prayer, to devote our days to you and to expect that you're going to show up. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your goodness in our lives. And we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Before we move into song, what I want to do is um, I want to do exactly what Jason is asking us to do right now. Um, just between you and God. The thing about Daniel when he faced that situation where the king where he said to the king or the God, hey can I do this instead of what you're asking me to do. There's two areas that I want us to just quieten our souls and just ask God these things. Is there an area in my work where I need your wisdom to be able to offer a solution? Do you remember what Jason said about being wise and winsome? That you're in a situation where you're uncomfortable, you're being asked to do something, or there's a situation in which you're feeling like, I'm not sure about this. And there is more than just the solutions that seem clear to you. There is a third way in this. And then I also want us to just take some time to think about what 
Jason was talking about is, is there an area where I can just come to God and say, Father, help me to repent from the way in which I've handled this situation? Whatever that may be, a relationship within the context of your work, a situation, something you took credit for, you shouldn't have taken credit for. But in a sense in which I want, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, my son, my daughter, I want to bring you freedom in this area so that as you repent, you can walk in freedom. Now, there's two areas. Is there? I, I want you guys to ask God, can you give me a third way in this situation? Can you give me a third way? And then secondly, is there anything in the context of my behavior in the context of my attitude that I need to just bring before you, Jesus, and, and say, repent, help me to live in a way that is wise and winsome. So we're just going to take a minute. Just close your eyes and ask the Spirit of God to work in your heart in those two areas. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.